Welcome to another season of Writers Festival Radio. Thank you for listening. It's 2021 and we're still under lockdown conditions, so for the time being, we'll have to keep connected virtually, even as we maintain our distance. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers Festival, and I'm your host. We are broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Special thanks to the Ottawa Public Library for their collaboration in our second virtual season. Our new season has begun, and it's all available online at writersfestival.org, so all you need to do to connect with some of the world's most acclaimed authors is click play. Please consider making a donation to support our virtual programming, as it may be sometime before we're able to gather again in person. I want to thank you in advance for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. For season two of the podcast, we're planning for two interviews each Friday, and this time, each episode will spotlight a single new book. I want to thank the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Carleton University, CBC Ottawa, and CHUO for their ongoing support. Now, let's listen to author and journalist Hattie Klotz in conversation with best-selling author Ashley Audrain about her debut novel, The Push. Hattie will fill you in on the book and we'll hear a taste of the prose during their conversation. Hi, good morning. Um, we're really delighted at the Ottawa International Writers' Festival to welcome Ashley Audrain um, to join us here to talk about her knockout bestseller uh, novel, The Push. Good morning. Welcome, Ashley. Oh, thank you, Hattie. Thank you for having me. I'm going to start by setting up this conversation uh, for anybody who has not yet read your book. No spoilers, don't worry. Um, just to give a brief synopsis of what's going on uh, before we plunge into uh, the novel in a bit more depth. So The Push has been variously described as a psychological thriller and a generational family drama. It is the story of Blythe, the new mother, and Fox, her perfect husband except things turn out to be not quite so perfect. Motherhood is not what Blythe had hoped for and what society sets women up for. And her most important relationship with her husband turns out to be something else too. As lives spiral downwards, the push tackles some difficult questions for mothers in the 21st century. Most notably, the complex issues of maintaining balance and perspective when everything you thought you understood before motherhood seems to have changed for the worse. Uh, Ashley, many times in this book, you allude uh, to something that I'm going to get into more deeply, but you, you start by hinting gently at first pass uh, that motherhood changes everything. Um, and I'm going to give a few examples before we get into this discussion. Mm. Early on after Violet's birth, she says to an acquaintance, this is pretty hard some days, isn't it? This whole motherhood thing. And the woman replies, Sometimes, yeah, but it's the most rewarding thing we'll ever do, you know. It's also worth it when you see their little faces in the morning. I studied these women closely, trying to find their lies. They never cracked. They never slipped. And then a bit later on in the novel, uh, Blythe, your main character, is describing her husband and the state of their relationship. And she says, you wanted me rested so I could perform my duties. You used to care about me as a person my happiness, the things that made me thrive. Now I was a service provider, 
You didn't see me as a woman. I was just the mother of your child. And then about midway through the book, one final example, Blythe says, I remember one day realising how important my body was to our family. Not my intellect, not my ambitions of a writing career, not the person shaped by 35 years, just my body. I stood naked in front of the mirror after taking off my sweater, which was covered in the pureed peas Sam had spit up. Ashley, you were a new mother yourself at the time when you started to write the book. How did you write these passages? This, the, as, a, as myself, a mother to three children, they ring so true. Did you um, <laughs> grapple with these yourself or did you spend hours teasing the truth from new mothers? <laughs> um, thank you for that introduction and for, for reading those passages. Yes, I, you know... There is so much from, you know, well, I should say that this book is certainly not, you know, autobiographical in a sense that, you know, my story is not Blythe's story, thankfully. Um, but there is certainly, you know, many moments and many emotions that were pulled from my own life, you know, my own early motherhood um, that I think are on the page. And and um, many of those I think you, you have just read, you have just captured. Um, so that it was it was not sort of hard to find those moments. They were I was I was really, you know, living them in some sense. Um, you know, I started writing this book when my son, my, my first child was six months old. Um, and so, uh, you know, many of the passages that are many of the scenes that are in the book, um, some of them, which you have just read, um, you know, were, were, were happening, you know, all around me while I was, um, you know, first, first started writing. And, um, you know, it's funny when I, when you, when you look back, um, you know, over the years that you write a draft and you revise and, you know, you're editing and things get chopped and things get put back in and it's a, it's a bit of a mess, you know, writing a book, but, but actually, you know, in this, in this final version of the push that is in book form now, um, there's quite a lot of that, those very first scenes that I wrote when I sat down, um, from that first year of motherhood have, have made it through. <laughs> right. And yeah. I, I would, I want to ask you about, well, because they're so perfect, and as you say, you live some of them, I have lived some of them as well. Um, did you, when they happened to you, did you write them down? Because I find myself, I'll be doing something when I think, mm. this is a fantastic, I must write this down, this image resonates with me, I know it will resonate with other people. I don't write it down. Three weeks later, I've forgotten <laughs> what that exact feeling was like. And that's what you capture so brilliantly here, is that exact feeling. Oh, so did you take you. notes as you were going along? You know, I did. I did. I really, I am a, I, I have, I think, learned through, um, through writing, you know, through, for my writing process that I really rely on note taking. I really do. And I have, um, on my iPhone, which we seem to never have, you know, out of reach these days at all, or I certainly don't. Um, I think especially with children, when you're sort of, you know, hungry for some kind of connection to other people or an outside world and sort of the early days of motherhood, you know, I always had my phone with me and I take notes on that yellow, um, notes app in the, on the iPhone. And, you know, uh, especially when I'm, you know, in the thick of writing, you know, when I'm writing a first draft, um, but really just always. And I, I um, compulsively note take, I write down things that come to me all the time, you know, feelings that I am having or moments that I think, oh my gosh, this is a scene, you know, I, I write it all down. And I'm also um, a horrible eavesdropper. <laughs> eavesdropper. I, I really, I, I love to listen to other people's conversations. I really do. And I love to be in a coffee shop and overhear something or see a moment and write that down. Um, I, that I am missing, really missing that now in lockdown, as I'm sure, you know, many, many of us writers are, but 
Um, yeah, so I, I do take a lot of notes and I, I rely on those notes heavily um, when I'm writing and I, I, I organize them in a way that um, that I can go back and sort of mine them um, for, you know, moments when I'm writing. So, yes. <laughs> mm. Hence from that, I think that comes that that's where your emotional truth comes from. Mm. I mean, it's brilliant. Um, one of the things for me as a reader that was so striking was was the first person voice you used. This story is the, told in the words of Blythe. And she's eloquent and great at getting to the heart of the situation using incredibly telling small details. Shortly before the central event of the book, no spoilers, I won't give it away, (laughs) Blythe describes her daughter Violet. And these are her words. I knew something wasn't right. At first, it was the emptiness she had in her eyes ever since I'd found her in Sam's room. The way she she seemed to look through me when I was with him now. Her contempt had shifted from the wildly exhausting tantrums that had once left me in tears to a manipulative, premeditated coldness. Her calm, steadfast dismissal of me was far beyond her nearly seven years. The icy looks, the complete disdain, the passive resistance to doing what I asked her to. Now, as the mother to several children, myself, some of whom have gone through the occasional uh, difficult patch, let's say, uh, it's all right, they've come out all right the other side. Um, (laughs) These kinds of observations really struck a chord with me. In her own voice, this woman, Blythe, is describing things I can really relate to. And I trust her. And then suddenly I don't when she crosses a boundary from sort of normal mother musings. And I think Mm. she's crazy. At what point did you decide that this story was going to be told in the first person to enable you to get this uh, seesawing between these two emotions that I feel as a reader? Yeah, you know, um, it, it always... Blythe's voice was always that way for me, you know, when I sat down to write. It wasn't such a conscious decision. Um, And, you know, she also is sort of, you know, we have this, um, we are in her head, we are in her voice, but she is also, through the whole book, you know, speaking directly to her husband, you know, so there is a lot of this you, you know, she is, she is speaking to, to you, um, and you being the husband. And, it always was like that. I think when I first sat down um, to write, it was really just more this collection of scenes kind of exploring this life that this woman had with her daughter. But but it was always tightly within that context of her marriage. Um, and there was something so intimate that about that that I that I really wanted to capture um, the intimacy of speaking directly to your partner um, in a way that you might not speak to other people you know in a way you might not speak about your daughter that way to others you might not you know share the things you do um, if you're not speaking directly to that person and so the, it, it always just sort of rested there and I think I didn't really realize until I was quite sort of far down the line that it that it did have this sort of unusual voice to it um, given that um, and I actually I, 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 at one point I had sort of wondered, oh, you know, down the line, is somebody going to talk me out of this? You know, is somebody going mm-hmm. to tell me to sort of, you know, go back and sort of and, tr- and, and maybe try it in a more traditional first person voice without this, um, mm-hmm. you know, being so close in her in her lens. But but nobody ever did, <laughs> thankfully. And I, I think it did. It ended up working. But yeah. And I think, you know, it, you mentioned that sort of, um, you know, that teetering that the reader does, I hope, and that I think I did as a writer for a, for a long time while I was writing about her, sort of trying to decide, um, you know, what was the truth versus, you know, her version of the truth, um, because those are two different things, you know, for all of us. I think that's just true to life, you know, how we yeah. see things and how others see things. 
Um, and I think it was always, you know, important to me, I think in her, um, you know, that we don't really ever feel like Blythe is lying to us. You know, we don't feel like the, that. And that's sort of, I think when we think about, you know, this idea of the unreliable narrator, um, which is, you know, such a, such a thing now, that's such a popular thing now, you know, to write these unreliable narrators. I think often they are, they're withholding, you know, information and they are twisting the truth for the reader. And it is up to us to decide, you know, how honest or not they are being. And I think with Blythe, we do get the feeling that she's being quite honest. The The question is more, the question is more, you know, is, is she understanding, you know, is her version of reality really reality? You know, is, is she seeing the world the way everyone else is? Is she seeing their daughter the way her, you know, the way she should be seen? So I think that that ambiguity kind of comes in a bit of a different way with her, I think. Um, but I, yeah, but I think, I think it would be hard to achieve that um, if I wasn't so intimately in her head in the way that, in the way that it is. Yeah, that's right. So, so actually that was my next question. We were going to get onto that later is that, is this question of truth? And I totally agree with you. I, I don't feel as the reader that she's hiding anything. I think it's, mm-hmm. for me, it's all laid out there on the page to more, perhaps to the extent, more than extent share, she shares more than, I don't know, I would in, even with my husband mm-hmm. or my personal relationship. I think, wow, she thinks that she says that hmm. um and that because for me as a reader it was so clear I, I just didn't know as you touched on where the truth lies mm. um uh and at one point I could I could really understand why her mind goes where it went went where it went and then she comes across as dangerous and deranged uh mm-hmm. she's she's trusted and then she's untrusted and as she struggles to meet the expectations of, of her husband and motherhood and what she should be and her role and things, one of the eight major issues for this book for me was trust. Mm-hmm. Is that something you consciously set out to explore or was that something that came out as you were writing? Yeah, I think it was really something that came out as I was writing. Um, and I think, you know, it's funny that I it didn't feel like um, a a big or heavy theme to me as I was writing the book and I, I can see that it is kind of you know in hindsight sort of looking back it is very much about that it is very much a book about trust um, and believability um, and what we choose to believe about somebody and how we you know the ways we choose to trust people or not um, I think you're right but I think like many things I think as a writer you sort of you know you set out sort of just telling the story you want to tell and kind of you know what comes out of that is becomes clear to you later <laughs> or at least for me I think you know other people kind of start to tell you more about what your book's about than what you think it is but right. um, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of a funny thing I think but uh, but certainly true yeah oh, interesting um, now uh, grief mm-hmm. uh, what there's a passage in in the book which contains one of the most shattering portrayals of grief i've i've ever read um where did you find this the material to describe grief in this way was it hard to write for you yeah i yes thank you you know i thankfully i have not experienced that kind of grief firsthand and i hope i never do um but um, but it really came from, I think, a place of, you know, as a mother, letting your mind kind of go there, you know, to what mm-hmm. that would be like, um, to a place of kind of trying to tap into that, that empathy, you know, that, that you would have for a person who is going through that and, and sort of letting your 
letting your mind go there. Um, I think like so much of writing is sort of about that. And, you know, um, people have sort of asked me, you know, how hard was that? Like to write a scene like that or to kind of go there. Um, you know, when I had little, little kids at home, I mean, I had an infant at home sort of writing that. And there's, you know, there's something for me, and I don't know if other writers feel this way, but there's something for me about, um, you know, there, there certainly is, you know, a, a cathartic um, feeling to it. You know, of, of that is a fear that we all have as parents and kind of exploring that fear that I certainly have, you know, on the page through writing um, is sort of a way of working through that fear and sort of facing that fear. And so it, it, it and I think also as a writer, you know, in comparison to the reader, when you are writing these difficult scenes, you know, you are in control, you know, you are, you are the person, there, there is such a sense of control working through those very dark, very difficult feelings as a writer. And so I think it almost impacts you a little less than it does a reader. You know, as a reader, you are in more of a passive role and it is sort of, it is impacting you. It is sort of doing something to you, you know, so you sort of come at it from, I think, a different, a different angle. So it was, you know, certainly hard. And I, you know, I, I, um, yeah, they were difficult scenes to write. Um, I actually had just heard from, uh, just this morning, heard from somebody who um, is a social worker who works with um, parents who are grieving. And she had written to me to say um, that, you know, that the scene was, she felt the scene was very accurate and that, and that, you know, there, there is, again, we won't give much away, but there's, there is a scene when, you know, Blythe is, um, is doing something with, uh, you know, her, her child's clothing, you know, her clothing and the items. And, and it is a heartbreaking scene for sure. And, you know, she had said that she knows parents who have done that, um, which really broke my heart, you know, because that, uh, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking for sure. Yeah. I think your point, I'm pleased to hear actually that your point, the difference between the writing perspective and the reader's perspective is very interesting one, because that's exactly right. As a reader, I felt, I felt, this is not a criticism at all, but I felt Mm. ambushed. I was like, yeah, oh, this is awful. I can't get away from this, but I must read it. But I, mm-hmm. oh, oh, I don't want to read it anymore. But I, you know, and the plot drove me on and we got through it. But the, uh, very interesting to, to, to think of it in, in that way, as you described. Yeah, I think it is about that sort of control. It's funny, I was reading a book the other night, um, which was an early, an early proof of a book that's coming out um, in the UK in the spring that somebody had sent me. Um, it's called When They Find Her by Leah Middleton. And and it, and it, I was reading it before bed and I, I didn't really think much about sort of what I was in for when I opened the book, you know, and I, and the first, you know, I read a third of it and my heart was just racing. It just, my heart, it was just like a wallop to the heart that just wouldn't stop. And I thought, I felt, I thought, oh, I didn't, I wasn't signing up for this. I didn't want this. I want to go to sleep, you know? So, and then I thought, oh gosh, well, this, this is what I'm doing to people as well with the push. So I get it. I get it. We, even, even as, you know, as a reader, I know what that is like. Yes. It is difficult at times. Too funny. Um, Now, I know you've picked a passage uh, to read to us. Now might be a great moment to share that. Oh, sure. I would love to. Um, So this is uh, from the fourth chapter. um, So it's quite early in the book. And it is Blythe sort of thinking through um, what life is like. And again, she is sort of, you know, talking to her husband. I remember exactly what life was like in the years before our daughter came. We ate dinner late on the couch while we watched current affairs shows. We had spicy takeout on a black marble coffee table with vicious corners. We drank glasses of fizzy wine at two o'clock on weekend afternoons, and then we napped until somebody was roused, hours later, by the sound of people walking outside to the bar. Sex happened. Haircuts happened. 
I read the travel section of the newspaper and felt it was research, realistic research, for the places we would go next. I browsed expensive stores with a hot, foamy beverage in my hands. I wore Italian leather gloves in the winter. You golfed with friends. I cared about politics. We cuddled on the lounge chair and thought it was nice to be together, touching. Movies were a thing I could watch, something that could take my mind away from the place where I sat. Life was less visceral. Ideas were brighter. Words came easier. My period was light. You played music throughout the house, new stuff, artists someone had mentioned to you over a beer at an establishment filled with adults. The laundry soap wasn't organic, and so our clothes smelled artificially mountain fresh. We went to the mountains. You asked about my writing. You drove a very impractical car every day until the fourth or fifth snowfall of the year. You wanted a dog. We noticed dogs on the street. We stopped to scratch their necks. The park was not my only reprieve from housework. The books we read had no pictures. We did not think about the impact of television screens on brains. We did not understand that children liked things best if they were manufactured for the purpose of an adult's use. We thought we knew each other. And we thought we knew ourselves. I love that chapter. Oh, um, thank you. And um, I actually think, I'm not sure if you intended it, it, it to be this when you wrote it, but I think it's very funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because it, for anybody who has crossed to the other side, to the dark side and had children, that just captures exactly what life was. And the, the, the image of the two particular images there that stand out for me is the laundry soap was not organic, um, yeah. which is just brilliant. And, and that you could walk around holding a hot drink without worrying about oh. it, scolding it, dropping it, etc. Exactly, um, exactly. Did you, did you, is this something you were taking notes of before you had children as well to remember all these things that we used to be? <laughs> no, but you know, I think I, I did write that scene quite early on, actually, after having had children. That was one of the earlier scenes that I wrote when I had sort of returned to writing with my, after I had my son. And so the memories were still quite fresh, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> It took you to point it out to me as a reader about all these things that have changed to me. And I, we had the conversation in my house just last week over, ah, my washing doesn't smell good. I've got to change the soap. And then I read that passage. I was like, laugh out loud. That's too funny. Oh, that's funny. Anyway, um, Now, listen, uh, there are, in my opinion, there are parallels in The Push with uh, a book from many years ago now, Lionel Schreiber's We Should Talk About mm. Kevin. Uh, yeah. Most notably, Violet's close relationship with her father, Fox, mm. and the lack of emotional connection with her mother, Blythe. Do you think there's something about a father's relationship with their children that makes it easier to connect in a, in a less intense and dangerous way? Hmm. You know, I think that it can definitely be that. I think that I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, um, you know, yes, we certainly see that in We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is just, you know, a masterpiece of a book um, for sure. But, um, but yeah, I think there is. And I think that some of that, you know, there, there are many, I think there would be many different theories and many different opinions on why that, why that is. But I think in sort of a very, you know, traditional 
um, family dynamic. I think it can often be the case that, um, you know, and I, you know, we, we have a very sort of shared household here, thankfully, but I still, I still can kind of see glimpses of it. You know, this idea that, you know, as a, as a mother, often the burden of everyone's, um, of every, well, of everything, you know, sort of falls on you. You know, it's been described as kind of this emotional labor, you know, the emotional labor that we take on for the family. Um, you know, I think that comes with a natural resentment and a natural, um, you sort of feel a bit, you know, the joy and the excitement of, you know, the, the day-to-day with children can really be stifled by that, I think. Um, and I think many of us can kind of relate to that feeling where, you know, you want to be in the good mood that dad is, you know, you want to have the energy that dad does, um, but it can be very difficult sometimes. And so I think because of all of that emotional labor that we carry, um, you know, we, it's harder to kind of access some of that, that, that it sometimes feels like a father has the capacity for, you know, sometimes it can feel like the father is the one with the capacity to kind of walk through the door, you know, at 6 PM and be in a wonderful, joyous mood because he is so excited to see his children that he has been away from all day, you know, or, um, he, and we see this in the book a lot, but you know, he has the patience for baby Violet in the evenings, whereas Blythe is done, you know, she is absolutely done by the time he walks in the door. And so I think there are these moments where, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we can see this as children get older too, where they do sometimes kind of turn to the father for the fun and excitement, you know, to go to the skating rink, to go sledding, you know, to go for a bike ride, to have all that fun. And there's, there's a wonderful, relationship that I think can blossom there um and there, there's a bit of a father I think not having to um you know to take on so much of the responsibility of kind of you know the the nuance or the, the sort of the in the minutiae of you know that that relationship that I think the mother takes on yeah so I think that that's maybe sometimes where that can come from mm. even on even if it's unconscious you know mm-hmm. I think as mothers we we read the emotional temperature in the room the whole time don't we Oh, we do. You know, we do. Who's happy, who's sad, who needs this, who needs that, who needs emotional support here, there, etc. Whereas, yeah. as you've just said, you know, sometimes it could be much easier for our male partners just to walk in and say, yay, let's go have some fun. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I'm going to move on to more less about uh, the story itself and the characters, but um, many reviewers have commented on the beauty of your writing. Uh, it's very immediate and it, it gives the feeling of a, a contemporary conversation in Blythe's, in the way Blythe addresses Fox, her husband. Uh, and for me, one of the ways that this is brought very much to the forefront in the, in the present is that you use a lot of incomplete sentences. Mm. There's a chapter that begins, the summer I was 27, two weathered folding chairs on the balcony overlooking the alley between us and the building next door. That's just a, a small example, but given that this mm. is your first book, how much time did you spend thinking about style or is this just how it flowed out onto the page? Oh, thank you for those kind words. But yeah, I, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time sort of thinking about style. I think that that is just, um, I don't know. I think that's just kind of naturally sort of what the, the writing style that I have, but I, but I do think that I like reading um, writers who write that way as well. Um, I, I'm at a loss for an example right now. <laughs> I wish I had one, but but that but that sort of that sort of writing does appeal to me. I think um, sort of brief but impactful kind of um, crafting of sentences. 
um, has really always, and, and, and also as well, sort of the short, um, you know, the very brief chapters. This is a book with many chapters that are quite brief. Um, and I, I, and they sort of, some of them feel like almost tangential, um, to the storyline or to the plot. You know, there are other glimpses of life that she is describing, um, that sort of relate to the kind of this core story that runs through. And that is, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy write, uh, reading things like that. Um, so it is just sort of, just sort of, you know, how it is. But I, I think also a lot of that comes from the point of view, you know, from this kind of hybrid point of view of, you know, being in Blythe's head and speaking directly to someone. I think that is part of it, that she, there is a bit of a, almost like a casualness in the way that she is speaking, um, in that she doesn't always have these full sentences. And some of this are, there are these sort of glimpses. Um, because it's funny, I'm working on my second book now and it is, um, it is third person. And so, and I do think there's a bit of a, a bit of a slight difference in the writing, you know, because we are, we are not, we are not in there directly in their heads, although I feel like it is sort of a tighter third person. So yeah, I think I'm exploring that. Um, so you, at the end of the push, you, you leave readers hanging. So your, the next book, is it a sequel or is it It, completely different? It's not a sequel. No, it's a completely different story. Yes, with different characters. And yeah. Right. I, I wondered at the very end, I was like, are we going to know more or do we come to our own conclusions? Um, and and uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this book? Does it have a, the, the next book? Does it have a title? And when should we yeah. be expecting it? Sure. Yes. I'm not quite sure when it's um, kind of slated to come out. It's, I'm still revising it right now, but it does have a title. It is called The Whispers. Um, and it is, you know, it's a, I think it'll be sort of for that, hopefully for that same readers of the push, you know, it it is emotionally more of an emotional suspense, sort of, you know, emotional drama. Um, and it actually, it does explore, um, some of the same themes as the push. It certainly explores, you know, marriage, um, motherhood, um, and also gets into sort of female friendships as well. Um, you know, female friendships at that time in life, um, when, you know, it it really, I think it really kind of looks at that idea of, you know, when you are sort of in your later 30s or early 40s, you know, often I think, you know, you you can have that moment where you sort of realize, you know, look around at your life and sort of realize, you know, you have the relationship you do, you have the children you do, you have the career you do, you have the socioeconomic status you do, you know, things all of a sudden at a certain point in life sort of seem set, you know, you sort of have what you have, have what you have in life, you know, and I think that, for some people, it can be that can be very jarring and that can be unsettling. And there can be this sense of uh, having wished you made different choices and now wanting to make different choices. Um, and there are you know, people who can figure out a way to do that. And there are people who must talk themselves into, um, you know, living the rest of their lives with what they have. You know, and I think that that can be a very interesting time in life. And it can also be very interesting when you know, you have friends who are, you know, also in that space and there can be envy and that sort of thing. And so, so it, it's a story that's, you know, set on one street. There is four families, uh, neighboring families, four households on one street. And, um, you know, the plot is that, you know, we, we figure out that these families don't really know the ways in which they are connected until there is something tragic that happens on the street involving one of these families. And it's set over the course of just a few days. We sort of learn the ways these families are connected um, and sort of the secrets that are there. So, yeah, so we will see. We will see. It is still it is still a work in progress, I will say. <laughs> so. Very exciting, though. Um, uh, now, before you s- had your first child and started writing the push, you worked as a publicist at uh, Penguin Canada for some years. How did this yes. affect you as a writer? Yes, you know, it's interesting. I... 
I didn't write much during those years. And I, you know, I had worked there for about um, just like two or three years before I had my son. Before that, I had worked um, in public relations and communications, like at PR agencies, you know, for I guess about eight years or so. And during that time, I wrote a lot, you know, I, I was always writing, I was always taking, um, you know, night classes, like community college classes about writing and writing on the weekends and working on things and had a little writing group. And um, it was such a part of my life. And then when I moved over to work on publishing, which was just a wonderful opportunity to, to do that same thing, you know, PR and communications, but in a world that I just loved, I was like a kid in a candy store working at Penguin Canada. But um, but the writing really fell to the wayside and it wasn't a conscious choice. It just sort of was what happened. And in hindsight, I think looking back, you know, I think as an aspiring writer, it is very humbling to work in publishing. <laughs> um, I think especially at a place like that where, you know, you really, really just, you know, the talent and the level of, you know, the authors that you're working with, it was just, um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't write much. I read a lot though. I read far more widely than I ever had before. I read, you know, far more literary. I read far more commercial, different genres, you know, authors I wouldn't have picked up before because you sort of have, you know, you have to. Um, and, and, and so that in itself, I can see now was such an education. Um, as a writer. And so it wasn't until I, you know, had my son and then realized, you know, decided kind of it wasn't going to go back to work right away that, um, that I, that the writing really came back to me. Um, you know, I felt that creative urge to kind of, to, to be doing that again. Um, and so that's kind of when it started, when, when the book started. So uh, what I'm hearing is that you always knew that you were going to write a book, did you? From way back when, if you were doing all these writing creative activities before you got to Penguin Canada, did you always think one day I'm going to write a book? I always wanted to. It was something that I'd always dreamed of doing. And I always, I mean, if you had asked me when I was, you know, a child, what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have told you an author, you know, a writer. That's what I always wanted to be. But um, so, yeah, it's interesting that now I, now I am finally here. (laughs) Is Is it what you want to be? Yes, it is. Oh, it is. It's funny. I was saying to somebody the other day that, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's funny that, you know, I think as a, you can probably relate to this, but you know, as a mother, you feel like you lose so much of yourself, you know, when you have a, ch- a child, and you enter motherhood, you know, so much changes and it can be so easy to just feel lost. Um, mm-hmm. and I was just so aware of that and, you know, and I, and it, and it's just, so it is a true privilege and a gift now that I can, I, I really feel more like myself now, you know, than I ever had, you know, even before I had children. So I, mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for that. That you can exist outside motherhood. You can exist as both. Yeah, so great, it's just both. It? Yeah, it really great? is. Mm. Well, Ashley, thank you so much. I think we've reached the end of our allotted time. On behalf of the Ottawa International Writers Festival, can't thank you enough for joining us today for this conversation and for this fantastic book. And I can't wait for the next one. Oh, Hattie, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for having me. That was author and journalist Hattie Klotz, the festival's board chair, in conversation with Ashley Audrain about her debut bestseller, The Push. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books, and wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great books. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast, and don't hesitate to recommend it to a friend. If you enjoy this podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation. Your financial support will allow us to continue to bring you the world's most interesting authors and thinkers. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn, original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubay. Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm your host, Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening. Thank you.